0: All right, let's look in 2 uh, Chronicles. You should have a lesson there. Um, if you don't have a copy of it, you like one, just slip your hand up. And Ken will see you and bring it around. Get, make sure you have a copy of the lesson tonight. And um, I want to take a few uh, weeks here and go through the prayer of Solomon and uh, examine it and, and uh, see what we can learn about our God through prayer, uh, what we can uh, experience in prayer, talking with the Lord in uh 2nd chronicles chapter 6 in uh, verse 12 it says and he stood before the altar of the lord in the presence of all the congregation of israel and spread forth his hands for solomon had made a brazen scaffold of 5 cubits long and uh, 5 cubits broad 3 cubits high and he set it in the midst of the court and upon it he stood kneeled down upon his knees before all the congregation of Israel and spread forth his hands towards heaven and said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like thee in heaven nor in the earth, uh, which keepeth covenant and showeth mercy unto thy servants that walk before thee with all their hearts. And so this is just the beginning part of the prayer. It actually, the prayer goes all the way through to the end of the chapter, which is 42 verses later. And that's why I knew we wouldn't get through it just tonight, the 42 verses. But we want to I'd entitle this message, uh, Praises the Person of God. As you read the beginning part of his prayer, you can see Solomon is doing more than just uh, offering up a prayer of dedication for the temple. But as he begins to his prayer in that dedication, he's acknowledging who his God is, and he's praising his God and lifting up his God and giving glory to him. Oftentimes, when we think about prayer, we often think about making requests or supplications before the Lord, but in our prayer times, we ought to take time to pray and and uh, praise the Lord. Solomon begins his prayer with praising God before he deals with anything else about his life or uh, the life of Israel. You know, David, Solomon's father, had a desire to build the temple, uh, but God would not allow him. And if you back up in chapter 6 up to verse 7 and 8, it says, Now, now uh, it was in the heart of David, my father, to build a house for the name of the Lord God of Israel. But the Lord said to David, my father, in so much as it was in thine heart to build a house for my name, Thou didst well in that it was in thy heart. You know, oftentimes there's things you may have on your heart you want to do for God, and uh, maybe you might not be able to do it. Uh, Maybe God won't open the door for you to do that. And uh, oftentimes we, we feel that, well, we're just not accomplishing anything for the Lord, and yet here Solomon's acknowledging the fact that God recognized what was the desire of David's heart, and he really expresses honor towards David for having that desire on his heart. And uh, so I'm thankful that we can allow the Lord to direct us and move upon our hearts. But that does not necessarily mean you're going to be able to accomplish everything that you would like to accomplish for God. And, uh, but God will bless you uh, for desiring to do that. The amazing thing is that God did not allow David to do so but God would allow David to prepare for his son Solomon to do so. And so you might not be able to accomplish something or have the opportunity to do it, but God can use you to prepare someone else after you to to come along and fulfill those desires in your heart. And so as Solomon offers this prayer up before the Lord, he's acknowledging the fact that his father uh, uh, laid the groundwork, if you will, for him to have the opportunity to build the great temple for the Lord. And so God has passed the task down to Solomon. I believe uh, as you go through this prayer, I want to take time going through this prayer uh, because of the fact, I believe this prayer gives us insight uh, to the pattern and uh, practice that you're filling there, your pattern and practice of our prayers. And uh, certainly I, I don't think we are to be, um, like the heathen, where we have structured prayers and we have vain repetitions and things like that. But there ought to be some structure to our prayer. There ought to be a a motive behind why we pray and, and how we pray and how we approach the Lord. And so not just a pattern in how you're going to start to pray, but also the practice of it, Making you're doing it. You can talk about prayer, you can evaluate prayer, you can study about prayer, uh, but you got to do it. You've got you to take time, set it aside, and talk to the Lord and allow God to speak it to you and to move on your behalf. So as we go through the next few weeks uh, this prayer, I, I'm really praying that it will just help me to once again understand how I can approach the Lord and uh, how I can experience a move of God and how there is a very uh, a personal relationship that we develop with God through our time of prayer. And I'm um, praying that this will be a great time uh, to help you in establishing some good principles in how you pray and how you approach God and what you talk to God about in your prayer. And so you know, Solomon starts off talking to God in reference to praising him and who he is. And so we're going to look at that. Notice he does that, first of all, We see his humility in uh, verse 13 says, uh, For Solomon had made a brazen uh, scaffold of five cubits long and five cubits broad and three cubits high. And he said in the midst of the court and upon it, he stood and kneeled down upon the knees, his knees before the congregation of Israel and spread forth his hands towards heaven and so here he makes this scaffolding, uh, this platform, if you will, to stand on. It's five cubits long and five cubits wide. A cubit's about a foot and a half. And so uh, five cubits uh, would be uh, uh, a foot and a half. Got to figure that out real fast. I said it added it up beforehand. Uh, what about, the, well, it's about a foot and a half, so it'll be three, it'll be six, about uh, seven and a half feet, right? Hey, man, I was looking to you, Jim. You wouldn't help me out. And so it was about seven and a half feet wide. And it says that it was so, uh, three cubits high. And so it was only about four and a half feet tall. And so this platform, but it, uh, it enabled him to be elevated to a point where people could see him. And oftentimes people uh, may wonder why you have a platform, why it's raised up. It's easy for people to see if you're up a little bit higher than everyone else. But uh, as he lays out this platform and he's standing in the front of the people, as he begins to pray, it says that he kneeled down upon his knees before all the congregation of Israel. So it's a, it's a position of humility. He's not going into the, uh, his presence of his God, with a sense of arrogance or demands being placed upon God, he humbles himself in the presence of God. And I think sometimes we have to remind ourselves when we go to God in prayer, it's a humbling experience. If we understand who God is, it humbles us. And so this kneeling. So a little asterisk there in your notes, his posture uh, is that God is the object of praise. And so why would he kneel down? Because he didn't, even though he was elevated among the people, he did not want them to elevate him. And so he kneels down in front of them to pray, and his posture speaks volumes because of the fact he's identifying God as the one who is going to be the object of praise. God was going to be the one that was going to be the object of all adoration and speaking to, he was not directing the people to look to him. And when I think well, when we pray, we have to be careful that we're not causing people to look towards us. We don't want people to uh, 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 depend upon us or to try to identify with us. When we pray, we're praying for people to look towards the Lord. And so he humbled himself in the presence of Israel. His posture shows that God is the object So notice, first of all, because of the fact that he was kneeling down, it was a position that recognizes authority. And uh, he's talking to God, the God who is the creator of the universe, he's speaking in reference to the God who is in control of all things. And we won't turn over, but Genesis 41, we read about Joseph when he was exalted to a position of authority, and uh, uh, he was uh, uh, following behind Pharaoh, Pharaoh was the ultimate authority, but listen, Joseph was second to Pharaoh. There was none that had more authority than Joseph did. And when people saw the position that Joseph was in regards to Pharaoh, they understood the authority that he had. And so when David is, I mean, Solomon is kneeling down here before the Lord, he puts himself in a position where Uh, He is not taking the authority on himself, but he's acknowledging the fact that God is the one that's the object of praise, and so he is the one who is in the authority. He is the one that we, we need to answer to. He's the one that we must acknowledge, and so his position of humility acknowledges the authority of God. But it also is a position of vulnerability, and uh, when someone kneels down and and they're humbled before the Lord, uh, you're in a very vulnerable position. In Second uh, Kings, in chapter one and verse thirteen, uh, we'll see this uh, posture. It says and he, he sent again a captain of fifty. I'm sorry, uh, third fifty with his fifty. And the third captain of 50 went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and besought him and said unto him, O man of God, I pray thee, let my life the life and the life of these 50 thy servants be precious in thy sights. He already knew what was happen- happened to the previous ones who came. He already knew that they had been killed and as he comes there, he puts himself in a position of vulnerability. He could not uh, defend himself. He's on his knees before Elijah. And so he's presenting himself in a position that, wait a minute, he was completely at the mercy of Elijah and whether he was, Elijah would take his life or not. And so when we pray on our knees, uh, it is a position that we're saying we're completely vulnerable to everything around us in every situation that we're going to speak about to God, and we must have God to be our defender at that very moment. And so we, we cannot position ourselves in a position of demands upon God, but we, we put ourselves in a position where we must depend on God. If God does not come through for us, we're not going to make it. And uh, I think sometimes we plot and plan our lives out. I know I do. And then it never works out. And when, when I put myself in a p- position of vulnerability, that I must depend upon God, I'm humbled before the Lord, knowing that I can't I can't control the cir- circumstances and situations in life. That when I do that, then God comes through for me. And so we must be humble in the presence of God, acknowledging His authority, and and positioning ourselves as being vulnerable. But it's also a position of conformity. In uh, Philippi- Romans chapter 11 and verse 4, it says, and, uh, But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. And uh, at that very moment, and we know this is talking about the Pro- uh, prophet Elijah, and he was uh, saying he was the only one standing for the Lord, and God had to remind him that, wait a minute, there are 7,000 others who have not humbled themselves, they have not conformed themselves to the image of Baal. And so he wanted him to understand that, wait a minute, that you need to conform to who I am, need to conform to my will. And when we kneel before the Lord, it's it's not presenting ourselves as being the master of our life or the controller of our life, but God Help me to understand what it is you're going to do and how you're going to work, and I'll fit my life into your plan for my life. In Philippians 2.10, it says this, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And so this position of conformity to Christ, we're supposed to be conformed to the image of the Son of God. And uh, it's not about telling God, this is what I want to be. It's not about telling God, you made a mistake, so do it this way. No, it's a position of saying to the Lord, you're to be exalted, you're to be lifted up, you're the one that receives all the praise, and I conform to whatever it is you want me to be or whatever you want me to accomplish. And so Solomon, as he begins to pray in front of all the congregation, he kneels down in front of them so they can see his spirit of humility in the presence of God. But also it's a position of commitment freely. And uh, certainly we're not uh, humbling ourselves before the Lord because we have to. We humble ourselves before the Lord because we want to. We don't want to receive the praise. We don't want to receive the acknowledgement. We want Christ to receive that in Philippians chapter three, not Philippians Ephesians chapter 3 in verse 13 it says wherefore i desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you which is your glory and then he says in verse 14 for this cause i bow my knees unto the father of our lord Jesus Christ and Paul says listen i willfully i freely give myself for your glory i willfully freely give myself and bowing my knees before my God. And so a posture of humility is acknowledging the fact that, wait a minute, God is to receive everything that we are. He is to be acknowledged as our complete uh, provider for all things. Andrew Murray, I thought this was good what he said. He said, pride must die in you or nothing of heaven can live in you. And I read that, and I was like, man, that is a powerful statement, thinking about humility. And uh, there is absolutely no way that I can enjoy the blessings that flow from heaven if I'm full of pride. And I've got to die to pride. How am I going to praise God if all I want to do is boast about myself? How am I going to be able to praise God in prayer if all I want to do is talk about my own accomplishments? Pride has got to die. Why? Because I want to be able to experience a heavenly gain in my life. He went on to say this, humility is, is nothing but the disappearance of self in the vision that God is all. And I, I wish I could think like these old timers did, you know. I mean, that is great. Humility is nothing more than just you disappearing. It's, it's not about you. It's not about me. And when we talk about prayer, it's about who God is and it's about what he can do in our life. And so Solomon, as he's ready to praise God and thank the Lord for enabling him to fulfill the desire of his father David in building the temple, he begins by kneeling before his God in a spirit of humility. And so we see that he kneeled upon his knees. Number two, there, we see his stability. In verse 13, he says, and he kneeled down upon his knees before all the congregation of Israel and spread forth his hands towards heaven. And so he's literally showing the fact that he is stable and secure in who God is. As he knelt down, he spread his hands before the Lord. Now, some people are uncomfortable about lifting your hands up before the Lord, and that's fine. It's not a requirement, uh, but there certainly is examples in the scriptures that show that we are stable and resting in the God's ability to protect us uh, by spreading our hands out before the Lord. So what would that speak of? That little asterisk there is his nature. God is the source of strength. And so Solomon is not kneeling in his own power and his own strength, but he is uh, demonstrating the necessity for God to be the source of of power and strength in his life. And so he lifts up his hands before everyone as he prays unto his God because he's depending on his God. So his nature is God is the source. Notice, first of all, that this is a place of dependence. Kind of got ahead of myself saying that, but we'll catch it back up. In the Psalms, and I line these Psalms, these different points up in the Psalms so you can kind of turn right along pretty easy with that and keep up. But in Psalm 28, in verse 1, it says, I will cry, I'm sorry, unto thee will I cry, O Lord, my rock. Be not silent to me, lest, if thou be silent to me, I become like them that go down into the pit. Hear the voice of my supplications when I cry unto thee, when I lift up my hands towards thy holy oracle. And so that is an expression of total dependence upon God. God, don't turn a deaf ear to me. If you're silent to my request, uh, if you don't respond, I have no hope of being able to be delivered. And so uh, Solomon is putting himself in a position of complete dependence upon his God. And I just want to encourage you with this tonight that, wait a minute, God knows what your needs are, And God can take care of you. You can trust the Lord. You can depend on God to give you what you need at the very moment in time when you need that. And so don't hesitate to pray. Don't hesitate to go before the Lord. Don't be prideful. Be humble so that you can show the stability of your faith, the trust of living God to be able to take care of you. So the dependence of God. It was a place of dependence. But it was also a place of recognition. In uh, Psalm 63, in uh, verse 4, recognition. And uh, we certainly want to recognize the Lord, and, we, and certainly the psalmist identifies and acknowledges that God recognizes him. And Psalm 63, in verse 4, says, Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands to in thy name and so identification or recognition uh being very specific about who it is that you're praying to and uh, we have to be careful because of the fact that we live in a generic world we live in a world that wants a god that is generic and we want a world in which we have this blending in of uh, all different faiths and they're not willing to acknowledge i thought it was interesting i found a Uh, clip that was taken several years ago I guess it was in Germany uh, at the Martin Luther church where Martin Luther was Uh, they had a combined service of Christians and Muslims and uh, this girl this lady who's a Christian uh, heard about the service and was really struggling about the, uh, the fact that whether to go or not because she knew it was wrong and she didn't know what she should do, but I thought it was interesting. She went to the service and was up in like the balcony thing. And as they were doing it, they had an orchestra there and they were singing songs and all this. But then after that, at one point in the service, the imam of the Islam stood up and started calling out for the Muslim prayer. And this woman, I'll tell you what, she had guts she stood up with a sign and she started announcing Jesus Christ is Lord not Allah and I mean she really took a stand about that and uh, it was an amazing thing and uh, later on they were interviewing her and she's Well, I didn't know what to do or what to say she said but I'm I'm standing for my country Germany because listen that is not what we're about Christians aren't the same as Islam that is a false god and, I mean, she was going on. They said, "Why well, aren't you afraid after this interview? Your life can be in danger. She said, I'm not afraid at all. She said, if they take my life, I'm going to be present with my God. I'm, that's where I'm going. And, I mean, I, th- I thought to myself, where, where it convicted my heart. I saw this thing this afternoon. It convicted my heart. Where is the cry of the Christian for America? Where is the cry that we have going out to our God to recognize the fact that he is the true God. There is no other God. We need to stop this stinking generic type of approach to being a Christian and start identifying once again who we are as a people and certainly as a country, we are a Christian nation. And we need to stop being intimidated to announce that. And so it was a place of recognition he acknowledges the fact that there was only one God that he was crying out to, and that was the Jehovah God of Israel. And so we need to have prayers in a position or a place of recognizing who our God is. And so it was a place of recognition. <laughs> I was tickled. Someone was telling me, this was a while ago, I think it was, they said something about going out soul winning, and they ran into a person and they said that they were, because this was a few years ago, that they were having this combined prayer service here in Tom's River. And they said this, but he said it was, he was from this church. This fellow told him, he said, oh, that, uh, that, that church, you know, I went over there and talked to your pastor about being a part of this uh, prayer thing. And uh, out, he said this, out of 49 different, no, 50 religions that went to this thing, Your pastor was the only one that didn't come. And I was like, well, good. I'm glad he remembered me. You know, because the reality is we need to recognize the God we worship is not the God that the world is worshiping. We need to pray in a way that we're recognizing that he is Jehovah God and he is the one that's on the throne. And he is the one that gives me stability in my life. And so the psalmist cries out, I will bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands uh, in thy name. Notice in Psalm 134, Psalm 134, verse 1 and 2, it was a place of worship. And uh, oftentimes we don't think of our time of prayer as being worship because we have allowed the world to identify worship as flashing lights and beating drums. But that's not what worship is. Worship is exalting our God, or exalting the Lord Jesus Christ in Psalm 133, I'm sorry, 134 in verse one. It says, behold, bless ye the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord. That's why I wanted to sing that song tonight. Praise him, praise him. Behold, bless ye the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord, which by night stand in the house of the Lord, Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. The Lord that made heaven and earth bless thee out of Zion. And so uh, literally Solomon's prayer was one of praise and worship. He was blessing the name of his God. He was exalting the name of his God. And so our worship is always pointed towards Christ and exalting him. Our prayer is always in a spirit of worship because we are adoring who God is. We're acknowledging who He is and what He does on our behalf in our prayer. Notice it's a place of provision. Lamentations chapter 2, in verse 19, says, Arise, cry out in the night, in the beginning of the watches, pour out thine heart like water before the face of the Lord, lift up thy hands towards him for the life of thy young children that faint for hunger in the top of every street. It was a place of provision, crying out for God to provide uh, for the needs of the people. And so he was willing to uh, cry out and uh, got acknowledging his need. Notice it was a place of expression. In Lamentations chapter three in verse 41 it says, let, let us lift up our heart with our hands unto God in the heavens. And so it was a place of expression. Lift up our hearts with our hands. And so he's saying this. It's not just a matter of physically lift up your hands. It's having a heart. It's a heart issue. Being emotionally stirred, expressive about the fact of who your God is and being willing to cry out and talk to him. Uh, Because of the fact that he is the one who is worthy of our praise. And so this was a place of expression. But it was a place of peace and faith. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, in uh, verse 8, uh, Paul helps us to understand this. He says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Without wrath and doubting. So peace and faith, peace and faith. Here's Solomon, he's praying, he knelt down and prayed, but as he knelt down to pray, he lifted up his hands before the people and before his God because he was at perfect peace with his God and complete faith of his God that he was going to listen to him and hear him. And so he is in a position that he is on solid ground. He's on a firm foundation. And because of the God that he worshiped and praised, he could acknowledge the fact that he was in a position of stability before his God. Andrew Murray said this, the great thing in prayer is to feel that we were putting our supplication into the bosom of omnipotent love. I'm telling you, God loves us so much that He is not just sitting there to ignore us. He loves us so much, we can be assured of the fact that when we talk to Him in prayer, He hears us and He'll answer our prayers in accordance with His will. And so when we pray, we offer up praise unto our God in reference to who he is because we know that our prayers are being secured in the bosom of an all-powerful love of God, the love of God that doesn't change. And so uh, we need to be stable in our prayers before the Lord. So his prayer uh, was offered in humility. His prayer was offered in stability, but his prayer was also offered in his glory In verse 14, he said, O Lord God of Israel, there's no God like thee. I think that's something we need to refresh our memories, remind ourselves, and renew our understanding. There is no God like thee in heaven nor in earth. We need to instill in our children, there is no God like the God whom we serve. There is no God like the God that we love. There is no God like the God that has saved us. And so we need to instill that so that they're not running around looking for these cults in false worship and false religions. And so we pray in reference to the glory of our God. There's none like him. So that speaks of his character. God is unique to all. And uh, there may be gods that may be trying to copy God, as Satan uh, fell before the Lord, was cast out of heaven because he said, I will be like God. There are Anything that God is, Satan always tries to intimidate. Anything that is, is, is uh, in reference to a God who loves us and, and created us and saves us, the world tries to mimic and copy it as some false presentation. But there is no God like our God. And so our prayer is always offered up in reference to his glory. Notice, first of all, in the verse, there's the scope of his glory. He says, there's no God like thee in heaven nor in the earth. So it doesn't matter where you go. Uh, We can go ahead and create all of our rockets and try to get to Mars and all that. You're not going to find any God that is greater, stronger, better, or like uh, the God whom we serve and whom we love. And da- Solomon understood that the God he was talking to was very unique. He was the God of Israel. He was the God of his father David. He was the God who had promised that he would bless them that blessed him and, and curse them who cursed him. And so he was acknowledging the scope of his glory. If the heavens and the earth cannot contain it. Notice the strength of his glory. He says, uh, which keepeth covenant. You know, it's amazing thing is that God is identified by his name in the Old Testament as he that keepeth covenant. In other words, when God makes a covenant with man, he does not break his covenant. Uh, We have uh, Jesus Christ who shed his blood as the blood of the New Testament. It literally in the Greek is the blood of the new covenant. God does not break his covenant with us. And so we pray in reference to his glory because we know there is strength and there's power in who he is because what he says he does. God cannot lie. And so we trust in the living God, uh, the strength of his glory. We pray in reference to the salvation of his glory. It says, which keepeth covenant, and then it says, "...and show us mercy unto thy servants." And so uh, the the mercy of God that brings deliverance, how Israel understood time and time again the necessity for God to save them and deliver them. And so when we pray, we pray in reference to the glory of God because he is the only one that can save and deliver us from the bondage of all of our sin. But then there's the service of his glory. He says, uh, which show us mercy unto thy servants, that walk before they. And so, this matter of serving God, uh, you're gonna bless them, uh, you're gonna reward them, you're gonna show mercy upon them uh, that uh, glorify you through their service. And so, Solomon understood the work uh, and the involvement and the necessity of everyone being committed to building that temple. And he says, God, we know as I talk to you, I'm humbled in your presence and I'm secure in my faith and trusting you because of the fact that your glory comes down upon those uh, that serve you. The amazing thing is when Solomon gets done praying this prayer, the kind of glory of God fills his temple and the glory of God is manifested. And so the service of his glory. Then there's the surrender of his glory. And notice it finishes the verse uh, that walk before thee, here it is, with all their hearts. That's a complete surrender. And Solomon is offering up this prayer in a spirit of surrender, and uh, because of the fact that is God is the one who is getting the glory. I'm humbled in your presence, I'm stable in the reality of who you are, but I'm overwhelmed with the glory. of of the majesty of everything that God is. I love what John Piper said. He says, if you don't see the greatness of God, then all the things that money can buy become very exciting. Uh, I think that's the problem. Everybody's trying to figure out what is the problem with people leaving the church, young people leaving the church, people not wanting to be in church. What's the problem with that? I can tell you in a very, in a nutshell, that quote right there is we're not looking to the glory of God to fill the longings and desires of our hearts. We're not seeing the majesty of God and the greatness of God, so everything that glitters in the world attracts us. Our children are attracted to the glitter that's in the world because of the fact that they don't see the greatness of God. And so he says, if you don't see the greatness of God, then all the things that money can buy become very exciting if you can't see the sun, you will be impressed with a street light. If you've never felt thunder and lightning, you'll be impressed with fireworks. And if you turn your back on the greatness and majesty of God, you fall in love with a world of shadows and short lived pleasures. We need to see God for who He is. I think we need to approach the throne of God as Solomon approaches the throne of God by starting out with praising God because if I'm praising God for who he is because I see him as he is and his majesty and his um, um, might and his greatness then listen, everything else that I need to be bringing before the Lord I don't hesitate to bring it because I understand who he is. And I think our prayers many times need to start out with the reality of who our God is. And and he is a God that we are humbled before. He is a God whom we are secured in. And he is a God that fulfills all of our wonder and praise and glory in reference to who he is. And so he starts out praying in reference to praising the person of his God. And uh, it would help us, it really would, I think, if we did just a little bit of acknowledging and praising who God is once in a while. And just getting excited of what he uh, has done in our life. So, I hope that was a help to you. There's some other verses in there. We didn't look all of them up. You can look them up and do a study. There's a prayer sheet that we need to pray for.